Lisa Rawlinson is making art again after a 20 year break. That's one of the reasons I wanted to catch up with her. When I met her, she was one of the many talented artists in the Good Bad Art Collective in Denton, Texas in the 90s. During the 20 year break, Lisa did stuff like get married, have kids, get divorced, have a career in publishing, you know, life. Then a few years ago, I noticed that she was sharing a ton of new and interesting artwork on social media, and it really struck me that she was another person out there kind of struggling to express herself in this new reality that we all share. I've uploaded some of Lisa's artwork onto this podcast Facebook page, or you can find her work at lisarollinsonart.com. Whichever way, I suggest you take a look at some of her paintings, uh, especially while you listen to this, if you can. I think it'll make it a lot more enjoyable. But uh, definitely check it out. She has a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm Dave Austin, and who are these people? Say something. Uh, do you have the... Can you hear me? Yeah, and I'm rolling. Did you, have, did you make sure that... Oh, okay. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. A lot exactly. of sci-fi ideas are becoming real. Yeah. It's like Barbarella's tongue box. Yellow. Yeah. Yellow. It is therapeutic. The last generation to be raised without the internet. Yeah. The first generation to jump into the internet. What, what does it mean? Like, did it really even happen? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm kind of, I have allergies really bad right now, so my voice is a little screwed up. Okay, noted. So you were the Texas problem-solving group? <laughs> yeah. Are you recording already? Yeah, I'm recording already. Oh, okay. It was, it was the Texas Future Problem Solvers. Is that what it was called? Uh, the one I was in was called Problem Solver... Future Problem Solvers of America. Oh, of America. Okay. Yeah. You're in the, the national chapter. Well, you- I, think, I think that really what happened is my teacher just told us we were. I don't really know that we actually were. Um, well, it, it's so funny that you posted that picture of, was it a brochure? What was it that you posted a picture of? It's, it's the Certificate of Merit. Aha. Uh-huh. Certificate uh-huh. of Merit, yes. Uh-huh. Be- because I have this one document, I have this um, surviving little uh, agenda or I- itinerary from the Texas Future Problem Solvers like convention from like 1980 or something that uh-huh. I went to. And wow. uh, I hardly ever think about it, you know, and then I saw you post that that certificate and it just uh it really everything flashed back in a way and uh, i wanted to re- ask you what what do you remember about it do you remember anything about that i um i had a really good time with it like mm-hmm. one of my best friends that i've known since kindergarten and i'm still really good friends with she was in my group and occasionally we like to bring that up as like evidence of our accomplishments in life. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> even I though it sounds, sounds I like you were gonna... more involved than I was, but um, yeah, we totally like, I think our teacher really played it up. Like, I think we really thought that we were solving problems like that future <laughs> Americans were going to have to deal with. And right. um, 
I don't remember what our project was, but I do remember the the sample one mm-hmm. that got me really excited about it was um, people living on a, a space station, okay. and they were basically getting sad, like you know, like seasonal, uh-huh. uh, whatever that's affectional disorder. Yeah, yeah. So like, because they didn't have access to sunlight, nature, and so. Um, you had to come up with like a solution for that. And the sample one was that somebody had um, designed this room on the space station that was kind of like a giant bouncy house. Oh yeah. I imagined it as like all the, all the balloons and everything were silver and the floor was silver and the walls were silver and you were just very space age. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in this in this silver bouncy house with silver balloons like in there with you and um and why wouldn't that sure cheer up, you know that, and that would cheer me up <laughs> so, exactly yeah. well, it's time for that bouncy castle lisa no <laughs> i think no. it's yeah well i remember that they hyped it up a bit like yeah the, you're really going to solve these problems you know like they're going to come to whatever you kids decide you know these might actually be the real solutions but i really don't remember much about what we did except i remember that trip and that because it was a trippy trip and it was i think it was my first trip to austin ever and it was me and my mom and our next door neighbor who was one year younger than me and his mom and we drove to Austin for this thing. It was a symposium, I think is what they called it. And our group, we competed in some kind of competition. I really don't know. I don't remember what we did because the one thing I do remember was so overwhelming, which there was some part of the competition where it was a scenario competition. So some kids had been tasked to write a scenario and then they just like read them one by one and they were like these essays and things and uh-huh. this kid who this is all that I remember there was a kid up there at the podium in the cafetorium or wherever we were and he was reading this scenario about the world had become overpopulated and so the government was like paying people to drive like huge tractor trailers into into pedestrians just to kill people because the uh the population had reached such a a high level and you know yeah i was like 10 years old this is fifth grade i think or and they like scoop them up and turn them into soylent green yes it was very much a soylent green type story and the thing that i remember is like first of all i was like what is this guy talking about and like because it wasn't clear from the beginning what any of them were talking about and this one kid had written it pretty well and when it became clear that he was talking about killing people because of overpopulation then my next thought was how come they didn't tell me about this competition that's the one i wanted to be doing was writing these scenarios you know and 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 then i other than that one brief symposium i i think the whole thing just kind of vanished after that i don't remember anything else I don't remember it ever coming up again. Yeah, since that time, um, I did not get to go to a symposium, so I'm a little jealous. Um, but yeah, we were we were really into that whole idea of it, and and it just sort of disappeared in my memory as well. Like we never 
it never came up again. So I guess we solved all the future problems of the <laughs> That's world. That's it. All yeah, we're just waiting for <laughs> like you know when when does it kick in? Like twenty. 23 maybe like that's when all those solutions we came up with are suddenly going to become relevant oh maybe that's it we just haven't got to that future point yet all our plans are on somebody's desk at the uh... i let's hope that the guy who was just bulldozing people <laughs> you know like that's in a drawer somewhere that's ne- never going to see the day of light or yeah. light of day ever unfortunately um, he's probably the guy that's yeah. I think um, some people are channeling him right now. I think so. Okay. Well, anyhow, enough of that. Yeah. How, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing really well. So I've been doing freelance work for the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I worked in publishing since college, and um, that's a really unstable industry. And I got laid off like. I guess it was three years ago now. Right. And um, I had like weathered many annual layoffs. So it was kind of like, okay, it's my turn. And that was fine. And um, it actually has been like really great working from home and Mm -hmm. having my own schedule. And I had worked for the same company for long enough that I – I got a good severance package, and so I actually just like took some time and did nothing. Wow! Because I had been doing the same thing for so long that it it seemed uh, like some time, you know, to just float and be right. with myself was was necessary. So I started freelancing, and um, like in doing that, like the whole idea has been that it, it's gonna provide me with the flexibility both with time and geography that I can kind of do whatever I want and like Mm -hmm. work on my own projects too. Right. And that's what I've started to like in the past year really try to put into place. So, you know, I'm sure you have noticed that I'm making art again after a 20 year break. And um, that was not planned. It just happened. And, all of a sudden, I was like, I really am enjoying this, and I'm going to keep doing it. And um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And cool. I was in a show, like my first gallery show since Good Bad. Wow. <laughs> it was a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. I should say what Good Bad is for people who don't know. Is, um, yeah, please. Let's talk, let's talk yeah. about Good Bad for a while. Then we'll, go, then we'll come back. I think how I know you, right? Um, Absolutely. So, Good Bad Art Collective was um, something that I was in in college. Me and a handful of other people started it. It was very loosely defined in the beginning. We just we rented a, a warehouse space in Denton, Texas, and had you know studio space and sharing resources, which mostly meant that all the tools that you owned would disappear. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we had studio shows too, like our own work and other people's work. And um, and it grew. Uh, it became its own thing and even like extended into Brooklyn, which I, I stopped like my involvement was from like 93. 1993 when it started to I think around 97 
Okay. Um, and it kept going for a long time, like mm-hmm. 10 more years, I think. And I just was always really proud of it. Like that's something that I helped get off the ground kind of became its own thing. And even after I wasn't involved, it was, it was cool. It was stressful and a great like uh, incubator for learning how to deal with people made some really great lasting friendships and have a lot of fun memories from it. So, yeah, exactly. It was one of the highlights of my life, even though I wasn't in it, just that that time period and the kind of creativity that sort of just surrounded that orbited it. I guess I was part of it, that feeling of collaboration and just, you know, it was great. I'm still chasing that high, actually. Never never had, quite had a as good a creative experience since then. You know, the thing that was great about it was the collaborative nature. Um, and that, mm-hmm. was, that was the double-edged sword of it, I think. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was great and not great mm-hmm. a lot of times, too. Because, um, you know trying to get 25 creative people to agree on something and everybody's young and in art school and like maybe not that well practiced at navigating, um, you know, feelings and egos and, you know, we butted heads a lot. Sure. But but that's also, that's also kind of the learning experience that you were talking about. You know, it was, I feel like that's what kind of led to some of those friendships being as lasting as they have been that we sort of like, we kind of got that out of the way. Mm -hmm. We had our fights and disagreements and we figured out that we could get past them. And I mean, I think that's the case with any sort of relationship in life. It's like you come to that point where it's either going to grow or it's not going to grow. And then, Mm -hmm. right. um, I really value that experience. It was one of a lot of factors and sort of why I didn't choose to continue making art after college. Okay. But, you know, for the most part, that experience was great and I would not trade it for the world. Like, it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let me get to the art part now because okay. that's one thing. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because you have been active on Facebook, social media, so I have kind of a sense of what you've been doing, and I saw that you started your art back up, and, you know, that you were freelancing, and I kind of, I related to that, because I got the sense, I mean, you said that you sort of fell back into it. Tell me about that, because I kind of got the sense that you were, like, really deliberately making time to, to work on it, like, like you were thinking, I'm going to do this, God damn it! no one's going to stop me. But yeah, well, what, how I am, did it happen? I, that's where I am now. Okay. Um, in, in college, I became really disenchanted with it. And, and part of it was that I just didn't feel a compulsion to make art. It became, it came, became work, you know? It's mm-hmm. like you were making art based on assignments and expectations, and I, I just... I think that it kind of like stomped the joy out of it. Right. And I allowed it to stop the stomp the joy out of it. You know, I'll own that, but mm-hmm. um, I just needed space. Like I didn't go to museums. I didn't go to gallery shows. I didn't, I just stayed away from it, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Scott Winterode, who I think you know and is a good right. friend of mine, also from from Denton. So he works in museum education, and he's a, an extremely prolific watercolorist, like mostly landscapes, a lot of plain air stuff, which just means like, you know, where you go and sit and you paint or draw what you're looking at in the moment. Mm -hmm. Just like his, the joy that he was getting from that, Mm -hmm. it's a little contagious. I see. So I started, like when I started traveling, I started taking, you know, a sketchbook and, and pencils with me. And then I would forget and never do it and not make time for it because you do have to say like okay i'm going to take 20 minutes and sit here in this mm-hmm. spot and usually when i'm traveling i'm just like hey look at that well, there's <laughs> this other thing and let's go do this and there's this thing and you know yeah. i get i get a little you know like kid in a candy shop when i'm mm-hmm. traveling and uh never really take time for that stillness that is required to sit and draw something. But I finally did it. Like, um, and Scott would kind of like get on my case, like, did you draw this time? And so I finally did. And I, when I did, I was like, Oh, like I forgot how Mm -hmm. I actually really like drawing and how Mm -hmm. it is. And like, you are really present and you you see and experience a place in a totally different way when you're drawing it and like mm-hmm. looking at this little detail of this bush or rock or whatever like you are absorbing the essence of that place i guess in a very different way right um and i i really liked that so i started doing more plain air stuff and then, so I'd been doing that since like 2009. Oh, okay. And, uh, but it was not anything. I mean, it was just kind of like, here's a little thing that I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not this past summer, the summer before. Like I had been um, dwelling on some, some things, some like past relationship things, I'll say. Okay. And, um. And I was really like making a concerted effort to try like to deliberately not ruminate. Okay. Like it was stuff that was like long enough ago that like I should have I should have let go, but I was just having trouble mm-hmm. with a couple of little pieces of that. And it was suggested to me that I try like visualization. <laughs> okay not something that I have ever really been comfortable with and um, but it was suggested like you know just when you find yourself there like remember uh, like think of yourself as a sunflower and like remember all of the like joyful happy like things that are within you and like don't let that person rob you of that and like mm-hmm. you of your energy and blah 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 so this was like a conversation that I had with someone and I found myself like in bed in the morning, woke up like ruminating and mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, I'm doing the sunflower thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's sort of helpful, but not really helpful. Cause I never, like I said, I've never have been comfortable with that whole visualization thing. That's not been in my makeup. You okay. Know? 
but I, I was thinking of like that peacefulness that I was getting when I was drawing right? and, and thinking of my daughter and how, when she was little, when she would get really, um, anxious or upset about something, you, we would like sit her down and put mm-hmm. a piece of paper in front of her with some crayons. And like the minute she started drawing, she was just like totally peaceful and happy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, just got so up and started drawing like little kid drawings of sunflowers. And I spent like probably like four hours just like, you know, painting sunflowers, like in a very little kid, like toddler kind of style, like right. not caring how it looked or whatever. And what a good uh, idea. Yeah. And it really like, it really worked if you have noticed there are a lot of like sunflowers um and i would do that like Mm -hmm. whenever i felt like i was finding myself in that pattern Mm -hmm. and i like i don't i don't need to do that anymore you know it really helped me that's great Um, so but but from that like i was realizing how much fun i was actually having with just the the act of painting and drawing kind of leaping forward a little bit. Like I've always been interested in science and I mean, any kind of, any kind of complicated ideas, like cultural things, like, you know, I just, I like talking about ideas and, Mm -hmm. and again, I read a lot, a lot of it's nonfiction and, I had been reading a lot of like physics books and um, other science books and just like had all this stuff in my head. Right. And I was having trouble kind of like piecing it together because mm-hmm. I don't training in science or, you know, um, beyond high school really. So I started making art about like what I was learning. Yeah, and, I've been seeing uh, that. It's really good. Um, I think that's a great way to try and. Yeah, interpret the material. Like all of my training that I've had in designing instructional uh, materials for education mm-hmm. really come into play a lot in this because, um, you know, to design something that teachers can use in a classroom, you actually have to understand both the content that they're teaching and you have to understand like the methodology of the way that they're teaching. Mm. You know, so like I'm reading about stuff and sometimes having conversations about it with friends or um, my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> having conversations with your dogs? Sometimes, yeah. Because yeah. they're the only ones around who will like listen to me go on and on about some weird physics thing that I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they don't talk back, but that's okay. A kinesthetic aspect of you know actually painting or drawing right along then like trying to visualize this and communicate mm-hmm. visual way and then sometimes writing about it too so it's like i'm hitting on all of these different ways of interpreting and like processing ideas the art that i'm making it's great when people connect with it and say they like it like that's really I love it, um, but it's really, this is a totally selfish process. Like, this mm-hmm. is all for me. Right. <laughs> really. So, well, 
good. I mean, I kind of, I kind of thought that, and I think that's that's one of the things I like about it too. Is that I did get the sense that you're just doing it because you felt compelled to do it. You want to do it, and uh, you know, screw anybody who doesn't like it. You're going to do it. Um, right. Now, give me an example of one of these um, astronomical or physical things that you've been ex- in, interested in that you've tried to express in art. A lot of um, artists, writers, you know, creative people and non-creative people alike are very interested. And I've seen you post some things, too, on Facebook and all of the, like, quantum physics that's mm-hmm. going on. Right. And, um, it's stuff that's been, uh, people have been, you know, trying to understand for a very long time. And I think, I really think that even despite all of the challenges that there are right now in the, in the culture politically um, with science, I think I really feel like we're in another like golden era, like some of, some of the research that's going on and the sort of explosion in technology that's allowing Mm -hmm. people to, um, you know, like, LIGO detecting gravitational waves. Right. Enormous. Like, it's so enormous. Like, it opens up a whole new way of interacting with information in the mm-hmm. universe. And so I think there's a, a lot of interest um, out there in that area. And it's definitely something that has captured my uh, interest and imagination. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that comes up, has come up in a lot of, of the work, and some of it's very explicit, and some of it's a little more um, subtle. Right. You know? uh, well, let me ask you a question, because I, I also, I can tell that you're, you're reading things a lot deeper level than I am, because uh, for one thing, I just don't have the time right now, so I kind of am getting sort of a superficial uh, kind of headline read on some of these. Um, but let's say let's talk about the gravitational waves that were the the LIGO or is it LIGO? Which was it called? LIGO and I LIGO. I that's what that stands for. That's the the like research facility. That's yeah. Now. That's the detector that they built with like those two kilometer long lines right. of things. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it do I do I understand this correctly? The concept was based on Einstein's theories. And the concept that there would be gravitational waves has, so it had been around for like 80, 90 years, but no one had figured out a way to observe them until this LIGO project put it together. They hypothesized that, oh, if we build this structure, we'll actually be able to detect the, the gravitational waves. Let's set it up. And they get it up and functioning. And just by coincidence, they actually happened to catch one of these gravitational waves like within a very short period of time after it was built is that That's is that correct. right yeah and so so yeah gravitational waves were uh part of einstein's theories on on relativity like mm-hmm. you know to say that time and space are this fabric basically you know right. uh, that's not this stagnant thing that they are affected by like objects 
are things with enough mass that they they have like a gravitational uh, effect on all of the things around them. Right. Um, like that that was part part of his theories, but no one was ever to able to confirm that particular part of it uh, because the technology wasn't there until recently. Like mathematically, mm-hmm. it all played out, and like all of his other like you know he came up with these ideas. And a lot of them at that time couldn't be proved. Right. Um, I mean, that's that's what scientists have been doing over the past hundred years is not cr- checking off the list one by one. And that's a lot of what physics, in particular, is is and mm-hmm. uh, you know doing the math and um, and if that's solid and plays out, then hopefully at some point they can figure out a way to like actually test those mm-hmm. ideas. And um, so, yeah, uh, so LIGO, there's a, a facility in, I think it's in Louisiana. Yeah, I think so. And then another, like, it's up north somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it is. But the one in Louisiana is actually, like, you know, <laughs> Louisiana's uh, kind of squishy. Yeah. And and, and um, swamp-like in a lot of parts. And mm-hmm. so they the facility is actually like sinking. Oh, really? <laughs> like it's a terrible, it's a really terrible spot <laughs> for them to have built this, but that they were able to do it. Um, I actually like, so I go to this thing called astronomy on tap. Um, almost it, it happens monthly. I don't go every month, mm. but one time I got to listen to one of the guys who, who did like hands on work on this, mm-hmm. um, search, which was awesome. Um, so that's part of how I know some of these details, but, um, but yeah, so they have like, it's all like underground and there's just like these levels of, of detectors with like magnets and things that like help, help these lasers like remain stable so that any sort of tectonic activity Mm -hmm. isn't going to mess up the measurements because they have to be so precise like right. it's just you know really tiny tiny fraction of a second mm-hmm. that these waves are coming um and so yeah it's like you know the two the l-shaped uh sensors are detecting these waves at, at these different instants and then the other facility across the, the globe wherever that other one is mm-hmm. um it's also detecting the same things and that's how they're able to like say, okay, this one came exact same at this moment. And you know, if it came at for you at that moment, then we know that, um, it came in this sort of wave like, uh, motion. Uh, and then, yeah. And then the thing that they just, um, like when just a couple of weeks ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. Like where they were able to uh, see the supernova or whatever it was, the like two merging neutrons, yeah. stars. right? And so okay. they were able to detect the light from that, also to con- like, you know, confirm it even further because everything else they'd done so far was just um, like two two converging black holes, which we can't see that, right? Because they're absorbing the, the light particles, so. Now they've been able to like further um, confirm this. 
Right. It is incredible. It is it really- mind-blowing. And I, I, there's... Help, bear with me here, because there's the thing that's blowing my mind, and maybe I'm... Well, there's a lot of things that are blowing my mind, but there's one thing that I just want to make sure I'm really understanding it. Okay, for the gravitational waves, like when they were doing the mathematics, whether it was Einstein... He theorized, okay, we would get gravitational waves, but it would have to be from something incredibly big happening, like these two black holes hitting each other, merging with each other, right? That's one of the, that's the size of things that would cause gravitational waves to come that we could possibly detect. Then they set up this device to detect it. Now, this is the coincidence part. Like, if they had set it up, a year later or two years later, they would have missed that gravitational wave that came by, right? They would have missed that one, but they would have found more. Like, are they are there so many that you, that you don't have to wait too long before the next one comes by? I was just so I just went to an astronomy on tap thing on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and they like a you know astronomy in the news thing, and this time it was almost all about. LIGO and, and the gravitational waves and the mm-hmm. neutron stars and um, they showed a chart that had uh, some of the you know the findings that they've made since that announcement like what was that was it two years ago now like I really it seems about, about right. I have that point in my life when it's all starting to blur together oh, and I'm like five years tell me about it <laughs> so yeah but there were um, there were five five lines on that on that graph that they had you know five different um events and those were all uh converging black holes plus then this new one of the neutron stars so um you know like the universe is a very active place and um was the many millions of years ago that all Mm -hmm. of the um, mergers actually took place since you know it, it takes time for the the light and those waves to actually reach us it's actually like in the past yeah um so you know there's stuff going on it's just a matter of having the tools pointed in the right place um to see it and and what we have right now like we are we're capable, like technologically capable, of looking at a whole lot more, but we just, you know, the funding and the interest isn't there to like mm-hmm. point telescopes at uh, more than a fraction of the sky at any right. time. And so it's it's really more of like, well, tonight we have the telescopes pointed at this little sliver of the sky. Mm-hmm. Hopefully something will pass through there, mm-hmm. you know, rather than right next to that sliver where yeah. we don't point it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of luck there. I'm satisfied with that answer. Okay. Because, <laughs> well, because if, if and I, this I could have probably answered this myself, but I didn't have the the discipline to go research it. Um, or at least the, the several articles that I read didn't say this specifically. But I was thinking, you know, if you're telling me that this is a uh, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime event, and they just happened to get it built just in time to catch it, I was going to be like, you know, that, that coincidence is, is too much. It's like mind-blowing. But I mean, no. there's, mi- there's mind-blowing stuff all the time. Now, getting to this neutron, the neutron stars that merged, mm-hmm. 
is that the case where they measured the gravitational waves and then they figured out, hey, we could still have chance to see it if we all quickly turn our telescopes yeah. to this area and they actually got there in time to to witness it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I would that, not know I would not know that if I hadn't gone to the thing on, on Tuesday. But yeah, so they you know, since that they is mind blowing and I'm so happy that that happened. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it was within like 11 hours, they said, where like they detected the waves and there are, you know, they're all starting to communicate. I mean, they're, they've been in communication with each other, like all the different research facilities. But um, now that this is going on, like there's been more interest in like, well, maybe we can actually see mm-hmm. some of the stuff, you know, uh, like measure it in, in the ways that traditionally we've been able to measure it. And so when they got that news of like, we found another one. We think it's neutron stars this time. Like all of these um, telescopes, research facilities, like pointed at that little section of the sky. And within 11 hours, then the light reached us. So the gravitational waves traveling faster than the light. Uh, and how do they I, travel faster than the speed of light? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense now that I said that. But particles. Mm-hmm. They break that rule too so yeah maybe i'm not explaining that part of it right um like i said i'm not a scientist i'm an artist so <laughs> no i i get it and you know the, i may yeah. may not uh, be the person to like explain this in the most reliable way but i can explain it as a lay person who has had a great interest in it and and done the process of trying to learn it and i think that's helpful in trying to under like explain it to other people exactly boat but but don't like don't i'm not i'm not gonna quote you on it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be like well lisa said that you know (laughs) but i mean that's what i understood too from the the article i read um, is that they must have had some kind of notice for, beforehand if they'd have chance to focus their telescopes and that that would have to be some kind of notice that would get there faster than the light. Yeah, um, so I mean, you're right, and that's an excellent question, and now I kind of wish that I had asked that on Tuesday, but I didn't think to ask it. And also, but, I don't normally ask questions in those situations, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's really, and now I'm going to have to go read about that. So, and, but and then this is the same story when when they did observe this, then these two neutron star- stars collided and released pure gold. Is that right? Like so, released yeah. tons and tons of gold into the universe. Gold and other heavy elements. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. So, but that's how we exist. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. we it's are like, stardust. Yeah, we are stardust, and that that's actually like a thing that has come up in several of the the pieces of work that I've actually one that I'm working on right now. Kind of subtly has that idea in there, but um, the process of chemistry in the universe, um, like all like if you think of the the periodic table of elements, mm-hmm. all the stuff on the bottom, like about halfway down, and then mm-hmm. all the way then to the the bottom. All of those things um, are the heavy elements, like a lot of electrons in their atoms. You mm-hmm. know, they uh, they were created mostly through those processes, like neutron stars, um, 
other massive, massive explosions uh, of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the stuff, the lighter gases and things up at the top, those were created like really, really early, like at the Big Bang right. moment. And um, uh, and through some other processes. But once once you got to the point where we started having like these massive objects that would then like interact with each other or implode upon themselves, that's when like, you know, heavy elements. The really were, heavy stuff came out. But yeah, so when they say like, you know, it created all this gold, they're atoms, you know, they're like, they're, it's gold, but mm-hmm. it's not like, bars of gold or like you know chunks of gold no i get it It, i mean it's not yeah it's not the lucky charms leprechaun with his pot of gold but still just the first of all the the poetry of it saying that you're just you know you have two stars collide releasing tons of gold is just is just kind of a fanciful thing to say and then beautiful it is beautiful and you and even if you're trying to imagine it like artistically this some sort of strange spray of molecular atomic gold dust being released it's i if you could see it up close i mean it would be it would be a lot more impressive than silver balloons in a bouncy castle i mean right. it must be like really it, it is that kind of like 2001 space odyssey blowing your mind you know that kind of like looking into the universe kind of otherworldly experience. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it too. I don't know how other people can not be so curious and fascinated by that. Like not that everyone should be interested in the same things, but it, I'm always a little like when I encounter people who just don't seem really curious about it, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, I don't know how to interact with you. Yeah. Other than a very superficial way, but um, yeah, like curiosity and wonder are uh, like the whole point. Exactly. So it's all about growing and, and learning and, you know, doing good along the way as best you can. But part of that, part of doing good is being curious and joyful and you know absolutely is yourself then how can you expect that you can like make the rest of the world a better place so see look we are totally solving yeah we're we're texas future problem solvers right here (laughs) exactly finally Um, Right, and it's what? It's 2017, and it is a time in this freaking year that somebody started solving some problems. (laughs) God, yeah, instead of just creating them. Yeah. So, I I mean, and and really, like, I think a lot of what I'm doing is, is, in a way, a response to how completely uh, overwhelming the world feels. You know, it's like uh, I do my part. I call Ted Cruz, who I know that's probably just making him be like, I'm just going to stick it to him more. Like every time I make a call to him, but I do it Mm -hmm. and I have to shower and scrub myself afterwards. But, 
you know, I'm voting in all the local elections. I'm going to protest sometimes. And, like, you know, I'm doing all that. Right. Doing fundraisers, like, whatever. But I really feel uh, like this work that I'm doing, even though, again, it's, like, kind of selfish in a way. Like, selfish in that it is, for me, first and foremost. Like, I feel like that in the long run is uh, is more in line with like trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. That probably sounds like really uh, like grandiose, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, keeping in mind that like those things, curiosity and joy and wonder and, and science and like culture and creativity and like, those are the things and, and having conversations about ideas and like complicated, hard social issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those are, those are the things that matter. I agree. And you, I mean, you have to do both, but, um, whereas the, the hard work of voting and protesting and calling and being an active civic person can it has to be done but it can also feel very pointless sometimes when you put all that effort into it and yet there's still not the desired result but somebody's got to do it right and then the other side where you're doing the art and the culture and i mean that's where you have to that's where you're getting to enjoy the life with the freedoms that you still do have and you're doing good in that you're setting an example you know for your kids and for anyone else that that there is still a lot of things left to enjoy you know and there there is still a lot of fun left you know and you can't yeah. just you can't dwell on the bad things all the time no and and you you know you said that about kids and i i have loved like watching how my children are reacting to this this change in my focus mhm uh, how are they reacting? They are both very creative people also. I, I came to this realization of, of like what you just said, like you're modeling mm-hmm. that stuff and understanding like the stress levels that I was having. Like I don't want my kids to grow up and just feel like their life is toil and, and obligation and and not that that's what was happening, but but yeah, there was a lot of like sense of obligation and um, and seeing that like their mother is making time for something that is important for her and brings her joy. Like I th- I feel like you know the modeling aspect of that is huge, mm-hmm. and it's more it's so much more powerful than just saying to your kids like you can do whatever you want in life and yeah because. Then they get out there and they're like, well, but these are the patterns that I learned. And I don't even really recognize that those are the patterns that I learned. I'm just repeating them like we Mm -hmm. all do. Um, But like I'll be in in my studio working and um, my daughter will come in and she's like, well, what does this one mean? And, uh, you know, like why did you do this this way? And they're they're asking really uh, like – good questions about it and noticing little details and like she in particular 
because my son is now a teenager and he does not come in here and talk to me as much. But mm-hmm. and then like we'll have a whole art art critique, like you know, like back in college where you put your stuff on the wall and everyone right. in the room, like critiques it. It's like she and I will sit there and have like this great conversation, and she's ten years old. Yeah, she's making these like really astute observations that I'm like, oh. I had not even thought of that, but yeah. Um, and That's it's so, so great. It's so cool to watch and, uh, and, and makes me like feel more validated in my choices that, you know, to do this and take this time. And yeah, there's nothing better than having time with your kids in a creative way like that. You know, um, like my kids are mostly younger my oldest is almost, she's nine, so she's almost 10. But, you know, just the other day, um, I was with the two younger ones, and they were both drawing it. Well, we were all drawing together. And, you know, it's just such a great quality time to spend spend with them, you know. Everyone's kind of focused and quiet and, you know, getting into it. And everyone's just being themselves. It's a, it's a really nice nice way to be. Yeah, we do a lot of that. Like, I think more than um, some people would probably think is healthy. Like, where we, like, I will go into my little hole in the studio and um, do my thing. And and my son is like, he's really into gaming, which mm-hmm. I think some people would um, probably feel like I allow him to spend too much time doing that. Except for the like sexist stuff that sometimes goes on with gamers, like I pretty much completely am on, on board with it. Mm-hmm. It's great, like watching his creativity with it. Like he's designing games, you know. Like he's not; it's not a passive thing. Right. Yeah. It's also a social thing. Like he'll get on Skype with like five of his friends, and they're all gaming together on a Friday night. You know. Exactly. So. Um, like he's doing his little thing and then my daughter's got her nose in a book for hours which Mm -hmm. is awesome so there's a lot of time where we just like we're all here but we're not we're not really interacting with each other and then Mm -hmm. and then it's like oh hey Mm -hmm. and we do but I, i think we're 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 all introverts in a lot of ways so but you're There's introverts a- together. That's what counts. Together. Yeah. And I really, I honestly can't say my daughter's, she's, she's got that in her, it's mm-hmm. in her DNA, but um, she, she does need other people. Um, I'm, I'm like really honored and flattered that you asked, asked me to do this. And um, it was fun. Like I, um, since I work from home, sometimes I get a little, star for conversation um even though i am an introvert and like being in this room by myself but um i also really like talking to people especially um people that i like and have known for decades so thank you well you're welcome and thanks you know i i kind of feel like this podcast is what i do to kind of have some sort of artistic or creative outlet that's all my own that no one's paying me to do. I'm not trying to meet any kind of requirements or, you know, assignment. I'm just doing it because I feel like it. 
Yeah. No, I like it, and I I listen to all of them oh, now, wow. and um, have really enjoyed all the people. Like well, really, thank you. Like, I kind of want to be like I want to meet Jess and and hang out. Oh well, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I she really comes like to Austin a lot, so just so down to earth. Yeah. Um, oh, she's really great. Enjoyed her. Um, I enjoyed everyone, but but she in particular kind of. I was like, oh. I, I am enjoying the fact that I'm introducing friends like to either, each other, you know, like um, I kind of have worlds colliding in a way. And that's part of it. I'm kind of enjoying this sort of cross pollination by pulling in all these interesting people from different chapters of my life and seeing what happens when they find out about each other. Yeah, it's great. And it's nice, like just um, connecting with people and showing an interest in people beyond like hitting the like button. On right. The so bravo. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's our mutual admiration society. Oh, okay. One last question before we go. Cause you mentioned, you said when you sit there and paint what's in front of you, it's called clear air. Is that what you said? Uh, plain air, plain air. I've never heard that term before but, in my life. It's a uh, French term. Like a lot of art, Terms mm-hmm. are derived from French because um, you know they, they they sort of yes blossomed the Western art. Uh, right. Or it basically means like in 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 plain air, like you're sitting out mm-hmm. in the. Air, no, uh, it's good. Air. I like it. I just I'm I, I'm well. I learn something new every day, and yeah. I'm just surprised I'd never heard it before. But I'm glad yeah. I heard it today. I think probably you wouldn't have heard it before unless you took some art history classes, you know. Well, I um, took one or two, but um, I must have missed, I must have been skipping that day. Yeah, you, you, you like tuck that into the drawer with a million other jargon <laughs> terms. That yeah. You learn. So um, there's a lot, like there's a lot of jargon with art. You know, I've been using that term a lot and then sort of also realizing, wait, most people don't really know what that means. So. Uh, well, I quick- like it. I'm going to try and find a way to work it into conversation from now on. There you go. Thanks, Dave. And um, tell Jen hello. I, I will. I, I miss you guys. And Thanks okay. so much. Sure. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. So Lisa and I were wondering if gravitational waves can travel faster than light. Um, it seems like the answer is no, they cannot. But there are other factors that can cause the light to reach Earth slower than the gravitational waves. Someone Else's Memories by Revolution Void and Calm the Fuck Down by Broke for Free are used under a Creative Commons attribution license.